Well, this is the Journey to Hope podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Zanotti. I believe life is about the journey, not the destination, to find the journey in every step of the road. The highs and lows, the twists and turns, the ups and downs, it's in that, it's in those moments that makes life so beautiful. Our guest today has a journey of her own. Robin Stetcher is an executive, a writer, an author, a speaker, and founder of Artemis Rising Enterprises, a New York City-based coaching and consulting company. She is an ICF certified performance coach. Throughout her 38 years as a talent agent, she has represented Tony, Emmy, Golden Globe, Academy Award, Peabody Award nominees and winners and thought leaders. Please help me welcome Robin to the show. Robin, thank you so much for being here. It's an honor. Thank you for inviting me. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm honored to have you in my presence. let's do an honor society yes let's just honor 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 um i want to start off by you know i want to just go into COVID. how has it been for you um just moving and shaking and maneuvering through this season of COVID? what's that been like for you thank you for asking you know the first most important thing that i would share is thankfully and thank the universe and spirit that we, my family and I have all been okay. And we have been praying for all those who have not been. And I'm very aware of the privilege involved with having health. So I'm deeply grateful for the health part of this. So we're gonna start with that gratitude. Um, I did something very interesting and relocated from New York City where my home is usually to Cape Cod where my parents live who are, my parents are 88 and 91 Mm. and I thought, when am I ever going to have this opportunity, maybe ever again in my life, yeah. to get close to them? And because I work remotely now in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. I was able to take a home not far from them. And I have gotten to know them in a way, and particularly my dad in a way, I've never had the opportunity to know him. And it came on the heels of my book being published. So how incredible is that? It's a book about family, in many ways, family stories. The fact that they launched me very generously into a life that I was um, allowed to just be who I wanted to be. So the COVID piece for me has taken something that could have been truly tragic and made it something kind of magical. And I say that carefully because I do understand there's been so much loss attached to this. But um, I recognized pretty early on that there was a way that I could do this and the whole world was going to change and kind of be turned on its side, then I too was going to go for that journey of being turned upside down a little bit. And I gave up everything. I mean, I didn't see a friend, a soul, a person. I didn't get dressed. I didn't wear makeup. I didn't do my, I just completely changed my life, but it's been extraordinary. Yes, I did the same thing. I mean, I literally shut down. I've been under quarantine. Um, Besides, I kind of ventured out for this podcast to come into the studio. And it was kind of interesting. It works because 98% of the people that I'm talking to want to talk over Zoom. You know, they don't want to come in studio. But it's it's interesting times, I would say, during COVID. Um, I want to talk about your book that you were just talking about. It's called, It's Just Who We Are. And in your book, you explore the subjects of identity, faith, and love, three subjects that are near and dear to my heart. Uh, Talk about that. 
This book is actually a second memoir. Um, I am very blessed to have a now 29-year-old son who was born with a very rare syndrome. And my first book charted my course with him for the first 18 years of his life. And when that book was done, an agent read it and said, you know, this is really good writing, but who is this woman? Who had the guts and the, the advocacy and the championship for this young man who now lives independently and is getting his bachelor's degree in Cambridge, Mass, 250 miles away from mom and has been on his own for about the past 10 years. You know, the, the germination of that story was in the first book. And this agent said, the next book you write, when you get around to it, you write about you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whoa. Like that felt really daunting because it was easy to tell the stories of me and this uh, irrevocable love that I had for my son, mm-hmm. but it was much harder to dig in and try to figure out, yeah, who am I anyway? And then the book came together ra- somewhat like a tapestry mm-hmm. where I pieced together many, many, many stories, which I had written um, over time, I'm not a journaler, but I am an essayist. So I do write and I write very, I write memoir style um, essays. So I had some of the pieces written and then I started thinking if I were going to compile this into a book, how would I want to tell this story? And I knew I didn't want to tell it chronologically. My family was a big part of it. And my parents who enabled me to go off to New York City at the age of, you know, 18 and a half and just live in Greenwich Village in the 70s, which was insane, and kind of finding my way and then landing in this crazy career by lying my way into it, basically. And then, you know, so there's this kind of triumph over everything that was going on in that era. And then um, I married and then suddenly the sun was when I was on the trajectory of having what I thought was going to be a red carpet life, you know, with, you know, big career, maybe, maybe not Hollywood, but, you know, certainly being in New York and I was on this quest and my son came along and he taught me that life is what happens when you're busy making plans, just like John said, and my entire life changed radically. And the journey I went on from that point forward had to do with the identity piece. So it's, grit which is that part of us that kind of muscles through and it's in my opinion it's what's left when we're beaten to a pulp right and then Mm -hmm. there's grace the part of us that rises up and where we become like the godly part of ourselves Mm -hmm. and that's where faith kind of comes in you know what is faith faith is the belief in that for which there is no evidence Mm -hmm. and so when you're being told that your child will probably not make it independently, may never read, won't handwrite, won't tie his own shoes, will probably never run, won't play on a team. You know, there are some choices that one makes at that point. Yeah. And I think the big turning point with my son and I and, and, and me was when, when we were, when he was a baby and the doctors didn't know exactly what was going on before he was diagnosed with the syndrome. And I took him to probably a fourth doctor or a fifth. And the doctor said, oh, I know just what's wrong with your son. And I'm like, what's wrong with my Mm -hmm. son he said your son is brain damaged Mm -hmm. and I thought no 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 we're not damaged no one's damaged here there's no no damage this is not that and it clicked and the identity piece was you just left the mainstream forever and you are never going back Mm -hmm. and now you have a completely new role a new identity a new voice to Mm -hmm. lend to um, and whatever's going to happen, it's going to be his potential that leaves the way. 
You can't decide what it is. Only he knows what it is. And if you champion this cause, he will go, you will love him to excellence. And that became my mission. Now, at the same time, I was working, I went back to work shortly after, I took a couple of years off and then I went back to work in the entertainment industry. So I was juggling a lot. I was running a big department and I was taking care of him at the same time. So the book journals through this entire coming of age story from the time I was very young to the birth of my son through a divorce that I went through. Sadly, my sister's passing, my former husband's passage. And then I found love again. And it's a rebirth and an extraordinary opportunity to both have reconnected in the name of love and remarry and then to launch my son into this independent life. So it's been a remarkable opportunity to be here in this lifetime with these special contracts that I think I have here to fulfill and um, to manifest in the way I have. Absolutely. Um, Let's talk about the manifestation of the journey, Uh, the journey that you're on. I want to mention something that I think is so positive and so special about your your story is that as you were just talking about your son, that, you know, he, he defied, he defied those odds. He, he attend, he attends college. He lives by himself. Um, All of those things, those negative things that you heard that they told you that he would not be able to do, he has done and um, is, and, and is living and, and doing just fine. Um, do you want to talk about that, about the noise sometimes that people may say to you, may speak on you, um, to, you to you or on your child or on uh, about yourself or things that you may be going dealing with in your life and how you um, didn't let that you didn't absorb those words and um instead what did you do to um block it out and what kind of advice can you give to someone else who may be listening to this so that they can do the same thing i think that's a great question um so first and foremost i don't think i ever blocked out the noise i think i was um i i i i listened and then I found the truth. Mm-hmm. And when we stand in the truth, there's nothing to fear. The yes. truth is the purest, cleanest, clearest. And when you have clarity, there's no ambiguity. When you speak to the universe with clarity, and even if you're broken down and crying and begging, and I was in that position, by the way, when I was divorcing my first husband, it was a very egregious divorce and it was a very difficult time of my life, taking a complicated young child out of a marriage and I had no money. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of legal debt, I had no money. I was not working at the time. I had just gone back to work as a matter of fact. So I really had not amassed the kind of income I needed to take off and I had to go. It was an abusive relationship and I had to get out of it. Yeah. To your question, I think listening was a big piece of it. I had to listen, not to others, to me. And I had to find my place, my right, to not have to earn every breath I took, but to believe that back to faith. And it wasn't a religious faith as much as it was like, what is not evident here that I can believe in? And what part of myself, what do I know about me that I can that I can actually bet on what is, you know, what is so unbelievably true about me that no one can challenge. And when you go to that place within you, it's very clear. It's just that sometimes it gets muddied for people. And so 
there's a bunch of questions that I like to ask, and it has to do with, you know, they're empowering questions, but I ask myself these questions and I ask them now when I'm in trouble now with the situation, I ask if this were Daniel and you were helping him, my son, mm -hmm. how would you approach this? And, and sometimes we just have to go to that spot inside of ourselves and ask, you know, what is it you need? What is it you're feeling? Is that the truth? How do you know that's the truth? Could that just be a story you made up and there's a different truth? And we really just, if you just keep digging the layers and you keep peeling back, eventually you'll come to the most authentic place you can be, which is again, in the truth. And so how I got through that, how I navigated was that I kept believing in something that was a lot bigger than me and a lot bigger than what Daniel and I were going to do together. And we, I, I say this and it's not my quote, but I say, we, we saw the invisible and we did the impossible. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes just those words, if you ask yourself, how do you know when you're in the truth? Is this the real truth? Because people get caught up in stories about things that they'll hear from others or that they'll tell themselves, these are blocks that we have to get past to truly manifest as richly and deeply as we are gifted to be here on this planet and in this lifetime. I hope that answered the question. No, that was great. I, um, I, I know you've been a talent agent for the past 38 years. I know you've had a series of things that um, maybe looked upon to the outside world as negative things that have happened. And I'm saying may because um, it depends on the perspective of, of, of how you look at it. Speaking of, you know, like your of divorce or being a single parent or your sister's death or your husband's death or, um, you know, I, I understand again, I, very similar paths. I, I, my husband passed away. I, I am, I'm a single parent. So I know what the, I'm also an entrepreneur. Uh, so I, I know the very mirror, dip, similar paths. Um, initially on for me, the, the beginning, just to kind of put one foot in front of the other was very difficult early on years ago. Um, now it's much better as time goes on, it gets better. What I find as I talk to people who are in our shoes early on, you can go one way or you can go another way. It's, 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 a, it's not a lot of middle ground. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to those who may be in the early stages? Not the, they, they haven't quite got to the healing where we're at. Yeah. That person who's on the early stage and they need some, they need to just know it's okay. Because I, and, and for me, I would think, I thought, I can't make it. I cannot. I did not know how I could get past that point. I really did not know that. And I could not fathom how I could do it. How did you do it? How did you get past those moments? What did you tell yourself? What was your practice? You know, what was what was your process like for you that helped you get through? Um, so I'm going to tell you a little story. And I think this can exemplify a little bit of what you're talking about. I hinted that when I was leaving a very difficult marriage, it was my first husband, he was not happy with the idea of my leaving and he was going to do everything within his power to make sure that I could not get out easily. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that this child was really complex, my son, Daniel, he, um, he had no regard for that. And my choice was to just go. And I had about $50,000 in debt. 
I had just gone back to work for a much lower income than I had previously. So starting all over again after having left the business. And I had to ask my father for some money to rent an apartment. Mm -hmm. I was 38 years old. I wasn't a child. You know, this yeah. was not what I had ever imagined. Yeah. And my son came to the apartment and in the apartment, which was empty, was mm -hmm. a mattress on the floor. Mm -hmm. And he said, mommy, where's our furniture? And I said, it's coming. And he said, when? And I said, I don't know, but when it gets here, it's going to be really nice. Mm -hmm. And he said, where's my bedroom? And I said, right here. And he said, but this is just a mattress on the floor. And I said, this is our mattress on the floor. He was eight. Mm -hmm. And we shared that just on that floor. Now, at the time, there was a bagel shop across the street. There was a pizza place. There was a place for cookies. You know, this was, these were his anchors. So what I did was I found the anchors. And they were the tiniest little things that today I still can't pass by that pizza shop, that cookie place, or that bagel place, which aren't near where I live now, but they're kind of not far away. And mm -hmm. I still remember how broken and afraid and terrified mm -hmm. I was. And yes, there were nights when I came home and I said goodnight to him and I talked him in and read to him and the vodka came out. Yeah. And the mornings I woke up and the pills came out. And then yeah. one day I said, you know, all that takes away the rough edges, mm -hmm. but that's not how you're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. I knew to cut it out. And I and I won't I won't pretend that those things didn't help. But there came a point when it was his voice that I heard when I didn't know how I was going to take another step. So I think we find the thing and it's the littlest thing that can anchor us. But you just keep that voice keeps going like, you know, and you're right. It was really tough being a single parent. There was no nonsense back in those days. Like I could not bring him to work. It was not a child friendly environment. And I didn't my nannies, if they were sick or whatever, babysitters or, you know, there were times I had to rush from work to get him from after school because they would lock the door. Yeah. And I can remember running in heels up Lexington Avenue, like, yeah. please let me make it This whole thing um, was a lot of stuff like that, that that went on where I would just keep telling myself and I would take pictures from magazines. I took a picture of a stone house. I remember doing this and put it on my mirror. Yeah beautiful home and I thought I am so far away from ever having anything like that in my life but that picture somehow helped me vision and focus mm. into the life that I might one day have where he would have a bedroom as big as the apartment we were living in yeah and in 2014 the husband I married to now and I bought that very big stone Whoa. house on the mountain wow story Yes, because you know one one, you know one is is you know it's a privilege to be offered opportunity. Um, a lot of which, of course, I worked for, but yeah. just I was going to um, take out. A, you know, we were looking at houses, and I went to the bank, and we filled out all the mortgage papers and all this, and it really was my dream house I was looking for. So we we're looking at a lot of houses because I had gone from nothing, truly yeah. nothing, and yeah. made a comeback. So yeah, it was my moment. 
And that house that we were going to buy together, that home was going to put a whole family together. It was going to take me and my son and his two daughters, and we were going to put the whole world back together under that roof. That was yeah. this, this new house. And my husband lost his job. Mm. Now I went back to the bank and I said, I, I think we have to rip up the mortgage application. I'm not going to get to have my, my stopped. And I said, well, wait a minute, we're not going to do that. I'm going to fill out the mortgage application and I'm going to put in for it. And we'll just take his name off of it. So that when we go to close, you know what, it'll be our home, but we won't have the issue of him being unemployed. Now, what's the likelihood that all that stuff could have happened? And I finally find this house after a year and a half of looking. <laughs> the universe comes along and says, but well, we have a different plan for you. Oh, what yes. Just how independent you can be. Yes. And I saw that house and we enjoyed. That. And you got the house with that mortgage by yourself with your name on it. Yes. Just as you and just as you thought and as you planned, as you vision envisioned it to be. From a picture in a yes. And that yes. was folded up and like it was already frayed on the edges, but I took it. We had moved from that one small apartment that my son and I had, and I started doing better and started doing better. So we were able to move. And when we moved into our next apartment, which he would call home, we lived there a very long time. Yeah. Stayed on my mirror. And I met my now husband, Jim, I met Jim um, when we lived in that apartment. And I remember the little picture being on the mirror. And I think he kind of looked at it like, why is that picture on your mirror? And I'm like, oh, oh, cause we're gonna, we're gonna have a house together and it's gonna be a stone house. And it's, it might not look like that, but you know, the whole idea of stone because it was solid yeah. and it would stand the test of time. And I don't know. I'm just somebody that creates symbols like that in my life too. So to somebody really struggling, I would say there's three components that I found really helpful in my life and that I certainly would, would love to share. And maybe they'll work for somebody else or at least help, which is one, I go back to clarity and the truth that especially when you're vulnerable, it's very easy to want to listen. To, it's very easy to get caught up in listening to other people's stories about your life. I was told things like, you know, you're never going to find another husband. Why? Because, you know, your son's complicated. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not a perfect, you're not a great pick for some. I mean, I heard things like that. I heard things like, you know, um, well, it's really great that you want to have this career, but how are you going to go to the top of leadership when, you know, you have a son that has so many needs? I mean, how are you going to be available for, for dinners and, you know, after work things and travel to LA and all that? Mm -hmm. I did all those things. I went to the top. I became an executive VP. I mm -hmm. heard things like, um, um, your son is never going to handwrite. He doesn't handwrite. We gave him a computer. He won't tie his shoes. No, he doesn't tie his shoes. He never has tied his shoes. Mm -hmm. He's issues but did he ever play a sport yeah he plays basketball on Saturdays yeah. and does he wear sneakers I don't even know what he plays basketball wearing I don't care he plays basketball yeah. you know yeah. so it's like sometimes if you're in the beginning and you're really in that vulnerable spot just ask yourself is this the truth is the thing this person's saying to me the truth is what I'm feeling the truth or might it be a story the second thing is find anything just one thing, one thing that you can say is you're, you're going to stake your claim for this thing. Whatever that means to you, it does not have to be amassing money. It does not have to be um, being married again. It does not have to be buying a home. It can be whatever that thing is for you, 
but it has to have heart and meaning and it has to mean that sense of safety and belonging and that you have the right to claim this for yourself that no one can take that thing away from you perhaps it's a dream or a vision yes um, or a desire mm -hmm. but hold on to that and hold on to that fiercely and don't let anyone in your life don't keep anyone close to you that will not subscribe to that dream with you mm -hmm. and the third thing is I would just say, take really good care of yourself because it's easy not to, especially when you're feeling broken. And when you're feeling broken, you're feeling not deserving. And when you're feeling broken, it's again, it's a feeling that you're sad or it's a feeling that things aren't quite right in your life or that you're in pieces, but that's not the truth. The truth is you are deserving and you are whole and even if you feel broken, you are not really broken. You just feel that way. And if you take care of yourself, you can take care of others. You can take care of business. You can take care of your dream. You can take care of a garden. You can take care of anything if you take care of yourself first. So that is one of my big um, non-negotiables for me in my life. I take care of me first. Always. I didn't always when I was in that place, but I learned that I had to. And the gym became, became my first step into becoming, you know, a much more healthy human being. And the gym was very centering for me and very focused. And I remained very dutiful about taking care of myself physically. And I still do. Um, I also need a lot of alone time. And so I know that about myself now. And so I make sure I get the alone time and I need quiet. And I make sure that I have quiet. And these are very hard things to pull off when we've just come through a pandemic or you live in a house with screaming children or your son needs this and your husband needs that, your wife needs this, your partner needs this. You know, I understand it's easy to hear these words and say, oh yeah, well for you, maybe it's easy, but for me, it's really hard. But you know, you can go in your closet and close the door and just be there with your clothes and say, I get 10 minutes. I just wait 10 minutes. And 10 can be, you know, it's amazing what you can do for yourself. I don't know if any if you relate to any of what I'm talking about. I relate to all of what you're saying. Um, it's so it's interesting because when my son was younger, I mean, like a toddler, again, as a single mom, my, my husband died when my son was eight months old, so it was a baby, and um, so I know the the journey of the of that the single parent life. And I remember when he was younger, having to go in the bathroom just to have five minutes of alone time, so uh, just the five minutes, and he would be on the other end mommy mom, you know because they want you and just the five minutes was just like everything it was like therapy to me just five minutes was everything so I get what you're saying and um I can also relate to the gym um now even in during COVID I went through a whole phase of I, I knew I knew I needed to get my like I had to get my groove back I had to work out and once I started working out daily and shifting my diet and watching what I was eating and shifting you know my writing and what I was doing all of that your your mind your body your spirit it's all aligned together and um however a person needs to do it you have to find it and once you find it it's it's like connect the dots the dots really do all connect um and and the, everything just kind of falls in place at that moment um 
it's 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 interesting. Even looking at the podcast, I look at some of the episodes that we've shot from just two months ago that we're airing, and I'm like, wow, I can just see the growth from the two. You know, you it's interesting how life is, and um, when you know how it is when you're on this journey, especially the health journey, because I'm I'm in it. I'm I'm in it, and I'm daily. It's a daily grind for me, health wise. But I'm I work out daily, and the diet is there. And I know what you're saying, but you feel so much better. I feel so much better when I leave the gym and. Um, when I eat properly and the mindset that I'm in right now, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. So I, I, I totally understand what you mean. I, I resonate with you. I, I like to say, do it consistently, even if it's a little bit. Yes. For me, when, the, when we, you know, COVID and I relocated and there was no, but I understood that I needed to be in my body and walking became my thing. Now my husband can do six, seven mile walks all over New York city. I was that wasn't my, you know, I'm not competitive in that way. It wasn't important to me to do that. But I set a goal for myself of 5,000 steps. And for me, it was going to be 5,000 steps every single day. And that was enough because that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't try to do 10 and I didn't try to do 20. I just wanted to do five. And I know how much time it would take. I knew where I where exactly where 5,000 steps would take me in any which direction. And it became a groove. Like you said, I got in my groove. Yeah, that you get in that groove and suddenly there's something called flow that kicks in mm-hmm. when you are not, you are at one with that thing. So I like to say what I started with is if you can do something consistently, even if it's a little bit of it, you don't have to be up our meditator and sit there on a stone floor on or on your knees or on rice (laughs) just start hour start with five minutes and just literally and and meditation by the way doesn't even have to be with your eyes closed or sitting on a floor it could be sitting on your couch but you just choose that you're not going to have the noise Mm -hmm. so there's some there's meditation and movement and then mind body spirit right so What are the things that we can do to link up mind, body, spirit just before we get cracking for every other thing we have to do that day? And then do we set ourselves up for, quote, um, for success is a a flimsy word, but I'm I'm using it intentionally here just to say success, not meaning, I'm meaning empowered. You know, are we setting ourselves up to be empowered so that whatever comes at us from the minute we start are we ready? And what do we need to be ready? Because what I need is going to be really different than what you need. But that essential thing, I think people forget. And when I took, we took our team remote um, from, you know, I work as a talent agent, I'm an executive at a talent agency, and we moved a whole bunch of people remote that had never worked remote before. And then we had client list to work and work remotely with. And it came real clear to me that I had a little bit of, um, I'll call it hero complex because I didn't want any balls to fall and anyone to fail. And I yeah. was just pushing it. I was working really, really, really hard. Like we were going to succeed. We were going to get it done. And we were going to make sure if people could work, they would work and we would teach them how and we, you know, this, that. But a thing I learned really early on was I had to take at least two hours before that all started and just be with me. And whatever that looked like, whether it was just sometimes listening to a meditation that somebody else spoke, sometimes going to a quiet place, sometimes exercising, sometimes reading, listening to a TED talk, a whole bunch of different things 
would come into my, it was like a download I would get what I was supposed to do, but then I would do it and I, and, and my day would start and I'd be ready. It was like, I was, I was in the groove. I was ready to go. Um, and I've been asked often, how do you do it? You know, so much is coming at you all the time. You have family that you're responsible for. You, you run a very large and successful division at an agency. You have, you know, 1100 clients in that department. You know, what is that like? And I say, you know, no, it, it's what you tell yourself about it. So much of it is your attitude, whether you're capable of it or not. You're capable of so much more you dream that you are capable of, but you just have to test yourself a little bit. And somebody, and if you believe in yourself and someone believes in you, then chances are, and you only need one. You don't need all, the whole world to believe in you. You need one person who you, you know believes in you and you can probably you know, go and, and get that thing done. Oh, it's so true. The power of someone believing in you. Um, it's like, it's, 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 life or death um, with, with anybody. Um, you need someone to believe in you. And I think it can take you um, a long way. Yeah. I want to end this segment with, um, in this episode with a segment that I'm calling tell and tell, which is a play on the word show and tell. What is something that you can tell us about yourself um, that the world does not know about you? A secret, if you will, about yourself. <laughs> there are secrets that will go to my grave with me. <laughs> I get it. On a podcast. <laughs> but, uh, but I think most people who meet me think of me as being, um, or who know me, think of me as being, you know, outgoing and very self-confident and composed. Um, but if I, I said it earlier, but if I do not spend a very good amount of time in an introverted state, I appear to be a, an expressive extrovert. And most people think that's who I am, but I actually believe that I am much more introverted than many people would believe about me, but they just don't see it happening because when it's showtime, it's showtime. But there's hours before showtime that I am alone and there are hours after showtime that I am alone and within myself and I go very deeply into processing. So I find that fascinating because when I tell that, when I say that out loud, it sounds almost like, yeah, nobody would believe that about you, except that I know it's true because I know what I'm doing for all those hours before it's showtime and yeah. all those after, hours after the curtain goes down. You know, it's very interesting. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate this conversation. Um, I think it was so useful. I think our viewers, our listeners will gain something um, and, and leave with some knowledge that they they didn't didn't know or receive yeah. before they tuned in. So thank for you. that, I thank you. I really appreciate your namaste. Have a beautiful journey. Keep journeying. Let's keep in touch. Yes, we must stay in touch. We have to stay in touch throughout this journey. Um, if someone is interested in your journey, they want to follow along with you, what can they do? How can they do that? My website, which is just my name, robinstetcher.com, super easy. And um, I'm on Instagram, um, just my name, and uh, Twitter at Stetcher Robin, I think it is. So it's pretty easy to find me. And um, I, my, you, can, you can reach me through my website. I answer anybody that reaches out to me. So feel free and um, beautiful life, beautiful journey. And thank you so much for having me on.
Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate Take it. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of The Journey Told. I'm going to leave you guys with words that my father so often says to me, and that's to be the best version of you that you can be. Until next time, let that sizzle in your spirit. Thank you.